welcome back to the Voices in My Head podcast. I'm the host of Voices in My Head, and I'm here today also with the Sci-Fi Christian podcast. You want to introduce yourself? Keep it down, Rick. They're going to find us. This is Bendy Bono from the Sci-Fi Christian. Okay. Uh, we're Yeah, this is a, a joint podcast between Voices in My Head and the Sci-Fi Christian. Um, we're privileged today to be broadcasting from NBC Studios in Chicago, Illinois, uh, right downtown. The only problem is they don't know we're here, so uh, we're we're trying to be quiet. Um, so, but but we wanted to, to be known that we're broadcasting from NBC. Yes. All right, kid, what are you doing in there? Run! Get bin. Hey, I'm Jason Gray. Hey, I'm Andrew Osinga. Hi, this is Michael Carr. Hey, this is Andrew Peterson, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. And this is me, so let's have some exciting music. Who is me, you ask? Well, me is Rick Lee James, and this is my podcast, Voices in My Head. We've got a great show for you this week, so stay tuned. NBC Studios, uh, thank you for having us. Yeah, uh, it was just... great to, to be there. Thank you for kicking us out, and we we promised to honor the uh, cease and desist and the restraining order and all that. But thank you for um, allowing our podcast to uh, to broadcast today from the the B Studio, the Broom Studio, <laughs> the Broom Studio. That's right. It's where where it was. So it was it was worth the short stint in the Chicago uh, Correction Facility that we had to spend uh, yes. being there. But, uh, yeah, just worth it to say we were at NBC. Um, so, anyway, speaking of uh, what we were doing here and being illegally in a place, uh, we're going to be talking about antiheroes today. So, just as we begin, uh, we should let you know that we are in Chicago, that Ben and I were both at the Chicago Comic and Entertainment Expo, otherwise known as C2E2. And um, we decided it would be cool to ask some like comic shop owners, some creators, uh, some people who just generally like comics, their opinion as far as why are we as human beings uh, attracted to anti-heroes. And uh, we're going to get more into that into our discussion. But it seems like uh, anti-heroes are kind of like ruling the day as far as um, things that we read, uh, things like Game of Thrones, you know, which is right. surely full of anti-heroes. Um, there's movies that are out. It's like no hero is fully a hero, and, and that's true in things like Batman or, you know, really even Iron Man with a lot of his selfishness, you know, that comes through. Um, so we have it in books. We have it in movies. Um, even TV shows. Um, I'm blanking right now, but I know there's... Oh, Breaking, Breaking, Breaking Bad. Bad. Yeah, Bad Breaking Man. Bad. Yeah. yeah. So um, just as we are beginning today... Uh, just to let you know, hopefully you can hear all the audio very well. It was very crowded. We're thinking it was something like 10,000 people at C2E2. Is that what we were saying yesterday? I don't know. It was a lot. Of, it, it was crowded yesterday. It was a lot of people. Maybe more than that. Maybe it's like 100,000. Maybe half the planet was there. I, sure. I think so. Well, anyway, we asked a few different people uh, their opinions as to why they think anti-heroes are so pervasive and why we're so drawn to them, and here are their answers. with my friend Tony Berry who runs Superfly Comics and Games, actually the owner of Superfly Comics and Games in Yellow Springs, Ohio, and the uh, best comic shop in the world, hands down. I know this for a fact. Uh, so the question we had this week that we're going to be discussing is why do you think that as human beings we are so drawn to anti-heroes as opposed to just heroes? When you gave me the question at first, I don't know how long an answer you're looking for. No, no, whatever um, you want to say. It's when, when you gave me the question at first, I was thinking it was maybe going to be a tough one, but then I realized it actually came to me pretty quick. Um, ultimately, we're looking for, we idealize the, the, the palette archetype, the perfect, but as, as sort of the ultimate achievement. Um, the paladin has nowhere to go but, up, but down. They've already reached the top. The reason the anti-hero is so attractive can almost be attributed to a form of, I don't want to say laziness, but it's it's a desire to to have the the, the paladin archetype success without the work, oh, okay. without the ethic. Right. It's um, the desire to be to be 
good accidentally. Okay. I think. Um, Power without responsibility, maybe. Yeah. Um, but there's the, the 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 strength of being the hero, being the protagonist, um, but without the without the required discipline. Okay. Is quite attractive to the American sensibility. <laughs> Whatever that says about our society. Sure. Um, no. But I think I think there's some real there's some real strength there, and it's there's there's a there's a certain freedom in that as well because Superman doesn't get to kill. When Superman kills, people say it's the worst Superman movie ever made. Right. For example, Spawn gets to kill, um, and it's it. The, the anti-hero gets to have moments of weakness okay. that are relatable. Um, the, 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 the pinnacle characters, the perfection characters, are not allowed the moments of weakness. When they have their moments of weakness, it is perceived as a character flaw. Mm. Whereas when we have their, our anti-heroes, they are perceived as character strengths. Okay. And we are a flawed people, and we like to interpret our flaws as strengths. Right. Or we want to, we want to bring our gods down to our level rather than force ourselves to have to go up to theirs. Yes, we're becoming more Gresham. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Well, that was a good answer, man. No, thank you. It's kind of uh, putting you on the spot this morning. I, what are I, so, I'm proud of it. Anything you want to say about Superfly Comics before I... Uh, uh, Superfly Comics is the greatest comic store on the planet, in my completely unbiased opinion. Uh, let's just add the universe in there. Yeah, well, I mean... In the universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's in fair. the known universe that we know. <laughs> Well, thank you. Yeah, man. I appreciate that. And I encourage you guys to check out the Superfly podcast as well. And yeah, maybe we'll get another uh, another answer here while we're, while we're at it. So thanks, Tony. Yeah, man. All right, here we are with Thatcher E. Cleveland of the Superfly Comics and Games podcast. And uh, he lives here in Chicago where we are today. And the question we're discussing today is, why do you think we are so attracted to anti-heroes as human beings versus heroes so often? Oh, that's a tough one. I think, I think a lot of it is many times in the way that like an antihero is portrayed. Mm -hmm. They're doing things that normal people, like regular people in their everyday life, don't get the opportunity to do or can't do. Mm -hmm. um, or it's like, oh, I would do that thing, but then there are these other consequences. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times when they're portrayed fictionally, I don't want to say it's like necessarily consequences free, mm -hmm. but it's consequences light. Okay. You know, like yeah. um, you look at a show like Breaking Bad, sure. let's say, where I think you know, like I love Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. and it's a fantastic show. Um, I probably identified with Walter White like a little too much. Yeah. You know, it's like a, but it's like the the show. The thing that's interesting is the way it's sort of like everything spirals out of control, and I think that's a that's a good example of like seeing the consequences. Right for like for real but yeah. a lot of times you know it's like I mean you look at someone like Batman who like yes he's like a hero mm -hmm. but he's also doing a lot of at times non heroic stuff where Superman's doing more like heroic stuff where it's like oh man super you know Superman's lame I don't like Superman yeah. you know but it's like Batman yeah you look at Batman's life and everything it's like yeah like the reality of that life is terrible right. it's like it totally sucks and who would want to live actually that life but it's still you know I don't want to say glamorized but I mean it's like you know, we can yeah. see it and be like oh hey that's really cool yeah so I mean I think that's a big part of it good answer man yeah. so hey while I have you here tell us real quick about your writing and where listeners can find that oh you can find me uh, my webpage is demonweasel.com okay um, you can also find all my stuff that I do on uh, on Amazon.com or Smashwords, you can just search for my name, Thatcher, with one T, mm -hmm. letter E, and Cleveland, like the city. Uh, right now I have a novel uh, that I've self-published called Shadow of the Past, which is sort of a, I guess it's sort of young adult-esque horror story, and then I'm currently working on a series of supernatural, uh, sort of like a supernatural private eye detective series, uh, sort of a... a adventure noir kind of with you know demons and vampires and things like that so people can you know I'm doing those 
they were supposed to be monthly, but they're totally not monthly. Like I work a full job, so it's like and I've got I've got some other stuff coming up too, some other comic stuff. Um, but yeah, so you know, keep an eye on my webpage. You can follow me on uh, on Twitter and Tumblr. It's a at Demon Weasel. So, so yeah. Well, thanks for your answer. Awesome. Yeah, great to see you again, Rick. Yeah, you too. All right, real quickly before we leave the Superfly booth, we have one other answer here today. Quickly introduce yourself and tell us where they can find you online. And uh, and then our question is, why are we so drawn to anti-heroes? Uh, I am Go Away Brian, we are doing something. <laughs> he is Go Away Brian. <laughs> I am uh, I'm Gavin Thorson. I'm good friends with local, well, I'd say local to Superfly, professional wrestler G-Force. Kind of known as an anti-hero to some. He's an advocate of science, which seems to rub some people the wrong way. Okay. I think, I'm not sure what Tad and Tony answer, but I've noticed the anti-hero is usually, they're the person, they're doing what you want to do, but you can't. Your morals or the law, maybe, mm-hmm. yeah. won't quite let you. You're, sure. They're the, like being in the wrestling industry, the anti-hero I always think of is Steve Austin. Okay. He's out. He was in his heyday. He was out there drinking beer, beating up his boss, flipping everybody off, mm-hmm. just doing whatever he wanted. And by all standards, he was a jerk. Everyone should have hated him, but he was one of the. He was arguably the second Hulk Hogan. Okay. Because you know, well, like I just said, because he <laughs> he is the quintessential anti-hero to me. Okay. Just. Just raising hell and getting paid for it. All right, very good. Hey, good answer. Thank you for, for sharing that. And can they can they find you on Twitter? Um, on on Twitter, I am Alpha Not I'm, or Totally Not G Force. <laughs> okay, Twitter and Totally Not G Force. Well, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. No problem. Okay. Well, here we are with Comics Illustrator Jimmy Hasse, and uh, he actually has some incredible artwork which you really need to check out. Go to JimmyHasse.com. At that's J-I-M-M-Y-H-A-S-S-E dot com. And we just wanted to ask him the question we've been asking people today. Why do you think we are so drawn to anti-heroes, uh, really maybe more than we are just heroes sometimes? Well, I mean, for me, if you, th- if you think about that person from school or wherever that is just so wholesome and good all the time, you can't help but actually kind of hate the guy a little bit because everybody's like oh he's so nice oh he's so nice and you know that there has to be something going on you always think there's some kind of ulterior motive okay and uh an anti-hero is something that i think we all kind of are in our own way um when i think of anti-hero the first thing i uh, pops into my head is batman sure a wholesome uh you know, guy who wants to do good but isn't afraid to grab an ashtray and hit somebody in the face with it to get his job done. Um, And uh, there's something about that kind of uh, balance that we all have between our own dark side and light side that makes an anti-hero a little bit more relatable, I think, than a true just hero that's got uh, no kind of moral flux to him. So that's my opinion on hey, the whole thing. That's a good answer, man. Thank you. Thank well, you. Well, again, we encourage you to go to jimmyhasse.com and check out his artwork. I especially recommend his Superman artwork with all of the different actors who've played Superman through the years. It's pretty awesome stuff. Uh, so, thanks a lot, Jimmy. We appreciate Thank it. Thank you. So here we are still on the floor at C2E2, and I ran across my friend Kyle Northrup from Toledo, Ohio, and I wanted to ask Kyle our question about why do you think we are so drawn to anti-heroes. So Kyle, real quick, tell them about yourself and then give us your answer. I'm Kyle Northrup. I'm the manager of Sean's Anime and Comics in Sylvania, Ohio. Uh, I've been reading comic books for 20, see I'm 26 now, so 24 years yeah. <laughs> since I could know what pictures were. <laughs> so um, I think the reason we're drawn to anti-heroes is very simply that we have a moral compass so it doesn't let us do the things we want to do all the time. Okay. And the anti-hero does that thing. Yeah. So it's uh, you look at you look at John or Frank Castle mm-hmm. is the perfect example. Is, Punisher, yeah. Yeah, you can't you can't go and destroy the entire city of Miami whenever you want to. But Castle does that, even though you sometimes think about it. Yeah. Like I wanted to disrail an Amtrak train this morning. Um, <laughs> You know, Castle or another anti-hero, some of the other, 
you know, Deadpool, for instance, or Deathstroke, they could do it, and you kind of get some gratification from it, yeah. and you you still get to feel your kind of moral. Okay, I wouldn't do it, but it's cool that somebody yeah. else can. Yeah. Well, and I always think of like um, on the movie Office Space where the main character there starts doing all the things that everybody who's ever been trapped in an office wants to do. Right. You know, <laughs> it's like, oh, I'd never do that, but I'd like it that he does. So. If you're going to round off the pennies, I'll take them. Right, exactly. <laughs> no, good answer, man. Thanks for, uh, for being on. And some yeah. of you will remember back in, like, gosh, it was one of the very early episodes of Voices in My Head. Kyle came on, and we had a good discussion then. So uh, thanks for being here on the show yeah, again man. today. We appreciate it. Appreciate it. So we're back here at uh, Benrick Studios. Um, <laughs> also known as the 14th floor of the Red Roof Inn downtown. That's right. It, it could be called, maybe it's the the Rickman Studios, I don't know. <laughs> but however we're going to say it. So I've been looking forward to this discussion on antiheroes. We've had a great time here at C2E2. Um, not only just going to the convention itself, but we actually had a great time uh, going through Chicago. and I took a lot of prayer walks and... Uh, ben drank a lot, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we all have our priorities, right? <laughs> it was. Uh, oh, that's it was, sadly true. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Uh, it was actually a good, uh, a good time of fellowship, though. And so. Oh, we had so much good food. Yeah, man. I think we both. I'm hoping we can fit in your car. To, we'll uh, see. To get we'll back. see. I'm hoping I fit in the the seat on the airplane to get home. Okay? <laughs> Be revenge for all those times you sit next to somebody who takes up about two and a half seats, right? They, I'm gonna, they're going to do the Kevin Smith thing, too fat to fly. Yeah. And to, I'm be, I'll be like uh, going over into the second seat. So yeah. Anyway, but it was very good. Thanks, Chicago, for hosting us. You probably didn't even know you did that, but we were very glad to be here. It was great to be a part of C2E2. Um, maybe before we get too far into our discussion, highlights for you of the trip so far. Um, and let's try to keep it highlights of actual C2E2 since that's what we came here okay. for. You know, uh, C2E2, for me, the, the biggest highlight uh, kind of surprised me. It was Artist Alley. I, I thought I was going to be kind of bored walking through Artist Alley because I thought it was going to be... A lot of really, really desperate people mm -hmm. um, with so-so art, and then you know one or two really amazing uh, artists. But I, I was just expecting to not enjoy that very much. Um, but not only did I love walking through Artist Alley, actually, that's where, uh, outside of one or two other things, all my purchases came from there. Mm -hmm. uh, I just really, really enjoy getting to talk to the artists and seeing the phenomenal work that they did. Um, you know, you've seen it, Rick, but I've mm -hmm. I got a few of these prints where uh, this this artist who he he it's like it looks like Darth Vader's face or head or whatever, uh, but making up his head is the words from the entire screenplay of A New Hope. So mm -hmm. it it's kind of a cool design, uh, and yeah, everybody was just super friendly there, mm -hmm. and uh, so I really enjoyed Artist Alley. Yeah, that was one of my highlights too. I actually enjoyed, um, I, I didn't really enjoy the snakes that much. There was huge snakes, but <laughs> it was definitely memorable. Um, did you touch them at all? I didn't, no. Oh, man. I, that was my, fun. My goal in life is to not touch many, as many snakes as possible. Okay, so, um, <laughs> so mission accomplished. <laughs> mission accomplished. I have touched them before, but you know. Uh, I, I'm, I'm good with it now, but um, I, it was neat for me to get to see, I enjoyed Artist Alley and seeing some of the top talent of the day, honestly, um, got to see one of my favorite creative, I didn't actually get to hear him speak, but Mark Wade, who I'm always told I look like, um, so I don't know, we were separated at birth or he's my possible dad, I don't know how, <laughs> how, it, how it happens like that, um, but I just, I kind of enjoyed the show floor just because there's so much to see. Right. Um, I'm always amazed at how marketed everything is. I just can't believe it. And, um, it's, I don't know, it's, in some ways it's just fun, but in other ways it, it's kind of concerning to me. <laughs> yeah. Like, just the way that, um, people will drop so much money on pieces of paper, you know, and, yeah. and will just the, the lack of discernment, I guess I would say, just for the sake of fandom that's um, there. And you guys on the Sci-Fi Christian have had some pretty good like fandom discussions and episodes and, and what all that brings. 
And uh, I thought, you know, I think I spent $8 total at the convention because right. I bought a few comic books that I was looking for. Uh, but I know, you know, people are there that are coming, like big spenders. They're going to spend maybe some of them upwards of $1,800 on a, you know, an issue right. of the comic that they've been looking for. And, um, and who knows? But Yeah, the thought that kept going through my head as I was walking around is there's a lot of crap here that you can, you can afford. There's a lot of amazing stuff that you can't. And it's searching out that tiny little sliver in between. Yeah. And, and, and again, that's part of why I enjoyed the artist, because yeah. there is some amazing stuff that's relatively affordable there. Well, one of my, uh, one of my highlights, Spider-Man has been a character that I've loved for a long time. And he's, he's had some very good writers. He's had some very terrible writers, and it's all in the, the hands of whoever's writing him. But uh, got to hold issue number three of Amazing Spider-Man. I think it was number yeah. three. Yep, but, yep. First and, uh, appearance of Doc Yeah, Doc first Ock. appearance of Doc Ock, who actually is Spidey right now uh, in the comics, <laughs> um, which he may not be anymore. I haven't finished reading Superior Spider-Man's run, but I think... I think his days are numbered. But uh, anyway, so we had a good time on the convention floor. But let's get into our anti-hero discussion. And um, one thing that I find fascinating is, you know, how society has um, kind of lifted up the anti-hero. Right. And we went from uh, a way that I think, you know, if you look back at, like, World War II era, um, we almost, like typified heroes as like people who we didn't actually see people in reality it was almost like they had um, uh, one side that was completely good and the other side's completely evil it was black and white you know right and that would be the propaganda anyway you know in reality people are always people and people know what kind of things go on but at least in society it seemed like at that time if you look back at the posters of the day or the films that were made there always seemed to be characters that were just like uh, the good and the right, and people like Captain America, if you're talking about comic books, right. never makes a wrong decision, you know, it's always the right winner. Yeah, the classic black hat, white hat, you, right. know, you know exactly who's good, who's bad. Right, or, or Superman, who everybody, you know, gives grief because he's a Boy Scout, you know, and he's he always does the right thing no matter what, and, and sort of that was like the ideal to shoot for, that was what people seem to be at least wanted to be drawn to right but it seems like in society now for right or for wrong um i don't know maybe the pendulum has swung too far the other way with disillusionment to where now the people that we seem to look up to and lift up are only anti-heroes yeah, yeah. <laughs> where they always have this they might do the right thing but they're a deeply false so i came up with a few examples this morning and you can tell me some of these you may know of some okay of them not, but um See, see if you can tell me what film this is. The thuggish anti-hero who turns from his hideous past because of a threat to something he loves. Like, for instance, his daughter who was kidnapped. Oh, man. Um, I haven't seen it, but is that Taken? Uh, it's actually Commando. Okay. <laughs> it, it, it could be Taken as well, but uh, Alyssa Milano plays uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's okay. daughter. So he's this past mercenary, you know, and... He's decided to live this quiet life at home, and in spite of all the bad he's done in the past. And he comes back for one last job. <laughs> right. And and that may actually be sort of a hero-hero guy, because right. I, they, they don't really paint him as in a yeah, terrible way. Yeah, his past, uh, but necessarily to me, evil. But to him. me, with all the people he's killed in his past, it's kind of like, <laughs> you're like yeah, he's sort of an anti-hero. Um, okay, you're going to know this one, I bet. Okay. Um, a selfish person who only helps people once he has something to gain, and he's a pilot. Oh, Han Solo. Yeah, yeah. okay, because he's, you know, he wants to make sure that, what's in this for me? <laughs> yeah, and, and Han's kind of an interesting journey from anti-hero to hero over yeah. the course of the original trilogy. Yeah. So yeah. you can almost see the... Uh, you know, and we'll get into the cultural transitions and stuff behind this. But if we look at the shift from modernity to post-modernity and Star Wars coming out kind of as that shift is taking place, uh, it's a fascinating case because you have know, somebody who is tapping into that post-modern uh, deconstructionist uh, desire for the anti-hero, but then also able to swing him around to kind of modernity's heroic ideal. Right. And one more that I think of. Okay. There's maybe two in this, because I, as I think about the description I came up with, I'm thinking of multiple ones I could describe. Uh, but let's stick to this as a comic book character. Okay. okay? You may okay. or may not know. 
Um, a cold-hearted killer who, for some reason or another, only kills those who deserve to die. That's Punisher, right? The Punisher, yep. right. I also was thinking, like, that could be Dexter. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, a mass murderer who only murders mass murderers. Yes. <laughs> um, so, and that's... The Punisher almost typifies the anti-hero. Oh, know, yeah. As far yeah. as just somebody who is so flawed, his family was killed, and so because of this, it's this deep scar of... Uh, something about when our families are killed, Batman or whoever, you know, it's like, now we're going to fight for justice, but P Punisher's sort of like a distortion of Batman's character. You right, know, when it goes right. Um, now let's talk a little bit, though, about, um, you know, we, we want to idealize people in the Bible, but I'm of the mindset, I think the Bible's full of anti-heroes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, just absolutely with them and uh, I'd be willing to say other than Jesus and maybe just a couple other characters who are only in there briefly there's only a couple people in the Bible who there's not any negative things written about them <laughs> right and um, so somewhere along the way we've gotten the idea that um, people in the Bible are are utterly righteous and they're they've never made a wrong move and you know, we talk about King David, the man after God's own heart. We skip completely over all of his sins sometimes. Because, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's credited with writing the great confession poem. Right. Or our psalm, Psalm 51. Right. He wrote that for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, here's something for all you sinners. But right. No, it was his prayer. Yeah, it was definitely his prayer. And yeah. I, I think of David as almost this ultimate anti-hero with oh, yeah. the, the conspiracy and the murder and the adultery and um, and just all of it so willingly doing that. I mean, he he wasn't even an anti-hero at one point. He was just a straight-out villain, you right. know, and, right. until the part when the prophet uh, Nathan comes and confronts him with his sin and, and brings him, you know, back to restoration. Um, but I think we find that a lot in Scripture that Scripture is incredibly honest about who humans are. Yeah, know? and I, I think you see, you know, the example of uh, viewing Scripture through rose-colored glasses has very, very much been on display with Noah coming out recently. And I know you haven't seen it, but yeah. um, obviously, you know, you've read the Bible, which is more than some of the critics have done, apparently, because some people are... I have, and I'm waiting for the movie. <laughs> well, it's here, it's here. It's here. Probably, so. Yeah, but, you know, so people were shocked that... Uh, in the movie, Noah gets drunk and passes out naked and all this stuff. And why would Darren Aronofsky do that? Well, uh, that's because that's in the Bible. <laughs> right. Like, Noah, Noah finishes the ark and he has this great moment. And then he goes off, gets drunk, and passes out naked and curses his son. And it's like, this, yeah, this is a complex character. And, yeah, and is it Lot who... Uh... Sleeps with, his sleeps with his daughter. Yeah, yeah, like in, in a drunken. Hi, state. dad, granddad. Yeah, they get him yeah. drunk. And, yeah, um, there's. I mean, not to get too deep into the, what the things do, but um, it's interesting because the Bible is very honest about who people are, and the Bible points us to one who is righteous, and right. not not humanity who is necessarily righteous. Um, but I I think it's interesting that in our society. Uh, like I said, maybe the pendulum has swung, and, and obviously we ha didn't live 50 years ago or whatever, but from what it seems, from what I can tell, it seems like society was really like all about whoever this hero is. They wanted somebody that was going to be completely good, and that was the model you looked up to. And it's it's kind of disconcerting to me that now the model we look up to is is Walter White. Right. You know, and, and yesterday, even in one of the interviews we had, you know, uh, I think it was Thatcher Cleveland, he said, you know, I hate to admit how much I identify with Walter White, you know, right. as a character and how much I really think he's like me, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. or, or I'm like him or whatever. And um, so as we, we think about that, um, you know, I think because humans, we feel broken. I think a lot of it you can point back to 9 11, you know, where. There's almost this disillusionment again, you know, with right. like, um, like nobody's gonna come to save us, you know. It's it's this idea. We, it finally hit America anyway. The rest of the world lives in these kind of conditions all the time, and there's more around the world that die every day than what we did in that one day um, with 9/11. But I think in our society here, um, we started getting filled with a lot of disillusion, and 
you know, presidents that let us down, where one time presidents were kind of looked at as, well, they're in high office, so they've got to be good and moral, right? Yeah. You know? And, uh, and we have characters like, uh, like Wolverine in comic books who, I'm the best at what I do, but what I do isn't very nice. <laughs> right. Know? Type things, and, and they've turned him into um, this, this brash character. We've talked about Iron Man a little bit before. With He's, he's this arrogant, narcissistic person who just really lives for pleasure. You know, yeah. Tony Stark, um, he thinks it's cool to be a hero and he wants to help people, but really Tony Stark is his main... Um, at least, at least in the way he's portrayed now, in a lot of ways, Tony Stark is Tony Stark's greatest hero. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. When you think about it. Well, even um, uh, I know you've only seen an episode or two, but True Detective had a great line early on in the season where Detective Hart, who is kind of he's a uh, what's his I'm blanking on his name, uh, Woody Harrelson's character is just disgusted with Matthew McConaughey's Russ Cole. He looks at him at one point and says, you are a bad man. Hmm. And Matthew McConaughey's response is, the world needs bad men. We keep the other bad men away. Oh, That's okay. just such a powerful, thought-provoking yeah. line. It's uh, the Punisher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. Um, it, it, and so, yeah, it's, that's, that's what I, you know, I... I think you're right about 9-11, but I'd almost trace it back quite a bit earlier. I, I think a lot of it is, uh, some of it really began with World War II, maybe not in American society, mm -hmm. but, you know, the modernistic ideal that we can build um, this kind of idealistic master race. Obviously, that's where Hitler took it. Sure. Uh, but, you know, the sense that human humanity can reach this next stage of evolution, and then we see... Where does that take us? We wind up with the Holocaust, or we wind up with, uh, you know, the Stalinist regime in communist Russia, ninety million people killed, and mm -hmm. then it's like, okay, but for a while that that was over there, and then we really, I think it slammed home a lot more with the Vietnam era, you know, mm -hmm. and and there's this sense of cynicism that sets in, and, and I think that's where you start to see the shift to the postmodern era, and we started asking different questions of mm -hmm. ourselves. And then certainly you're right that 9-11 is, uh, in many ways, the continuation of it. It, mm -hmm. it brings it that much closer home. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. I was saying that off the top of my head, but I, I think personally for me, that's where a lot of my disillusionment came in, you yeah. know, as far as all that stuff. And, uh, and they've said before, like, that was right around the time when, like, this TV series Smallville came out. Yeah. And it said heroes started becoming this thing that we were wanting again. Mm -hmm. But but they're flawed heroes. Right. You know, always all the way through. And and, it, it, and obviously superheroes blew up in a big way. People want it. I mean, you can walk around these conventions, and people are willing to, like, pay a year's salary to have this comic they want, or, you know, right. whatever. And, um, and it's turned into sort of a, a cult. But as I got thinking about, you know, we, we often have this nostalgic feeling for the past like in the past it wasn't this bad you know yeah and it's it's mayberry is what i'm going to refer to it as and and i am a fan of the andy griffith show there's a lot of laughs i get from that show but if you really think about it in terms of what society is and what american society is um mayberry or you know you can't see my hand quotes that i'm making <laughs> right now but mayberry in quotes um mayberry usa if we're talking about typical good quality white picket fence America that um, the reality of it is Mayberry USA is built on the bloody murdered corpses of Native Americans right you know <laughs> we don't want to talk about it because that's not Mayberry you know but it is Mayberry and it's and it's this idea of um, we want to idealize the past like it wasn't there wasn't evil back then or something. Right. And if we right. could just get back to the days of then, you know, things were so much simpler. Well, I think if in reality you looked, the, the time of Mayberry or Andy Griffith or whatever, there was just as much crime and <laughs> things now, um, but maybe you didn't hear about it as much, but humans yeah. have always been humans. Yeah, um, and I think that that's part of the push of the postmodern mindset is... is there is a sense, and I don't say this as a criticism, I, I think this can be a very good thing, of wanting to deconstruct those systems and say, okay, uh, what's going on beneath this? How many, how many bodies are, are 
underneath the ground may vary. Yeah. Uh, the classic, um, you know, the classic horror movie trope of uh, the place built on the Indian burial ground, and it's like, well, yeah, that's a little cheesy and cliche, but it's also a metaphor for exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It's a power. It, it's a reused metaphor for that reason. Uh, yeah. So you get into. I, I think a lot of times we've reached a point, though. If you talk about just going too far the other direction, there's almost a sense where we're now convinced there has to be a body, mm-hmm. and if we can't find it, we don't trust it. Right. You know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very true. Um, so I, I think it's interesting, just all of that in you know in the conversation because we, um, we've become a very cynical society. I don't know that, that cynicism has always been as strong. I'm sure you go through different phases, but I think it's just one of the marks of our time. Yeah. And so we kind of expect that out of our heroes. And I think this is where a lot of, uh, we'll get into a little bit more of the, like, uh, religious aspect of this in a second. But we want to bring our heroes down to our level because we can't seem to get away from it. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And rather than trying to live up to something... We want to bring them down, and I think we often do that with Christ. And a lot of like biblical deconstruction is yeah. actually like, like, well, I can't perform that miracle, so thus Jesus couldn't either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah. Um, and a lot of this is like the idea that the thing about following Jesus is we need a Savior who's bigger than us, right? Because we can't do it on our own. Yeah. So that would that would kind of be the more liberal. Uh, take on, on deconstructing Christ. Probably the more conservative take would be, sure, we believe in the miracles, but Jesus is our buddy. Yeah, buddy you know, <laughs> Exactly. It's like, he's your pal, you know, and everything. It's like, well, I'm sure Jesus would have been friendly if he'd met with you, but he's also, you know, you're standing in, in, in the presence of God clothed in human flesh. It's like, well, uh, you know, the line from uh, Narnia where they're talking about meeting Aslan. I mean, they go, if anybody can stand in front of Aslan without their knees knocking, they're yeah. an absolute fool. Yeah. And I think the same would hold true. I, I hope it would hold true if we were to meet Christ in, in the flesh today. Yeah, very true. Uh, well, before we get too far into the, the religious stuff, but here, here's a few other examples of uh, like popular books and movies. Um, and, and one thing you hear a lot is things seem to be getting darker, and, and I'm not one of those guys that like is pessimistic about the world. I actually believe that there's hope in Christ, and I, I actually see the world as a beautiful place, you know, um, that, that in God um, there's, there's such beautiful hope there. I don't always see everything as beautiful and hopeful, but I think right. that ultimately it's His world, you know. And, um, but, but I'm looking at like things like uh, The Hunger Games, which is really popular right now, yeah. which... This is actually a young adult series about a bunch of kids killing each other. <laughs> I mean, and it, and it's so popular. And I mean, there's like churches that are you know creating messages around the, the right. gospel, of the Hunger Games, you know. Whatever. Speaking of which, can we be done with churches and movie <laughs> sermon series? <laughs> I, I'm fine with that. Sure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, or you know, the, the news is full of stories of like murder, theft, corruption. And it's almost like the news now they have to sensationalize every story or they don't uh, sell ads, yeah. you know, and, um, and and not that they aren't there, but it's like, it's like you have the one good report on the news at the very end, you know, it's like, here's, yeah. a, here's a puppy that was rescued from the, <laughs> the Ohio River, um, but the rest of it's like just, whoa, despair, agony. Yeah, know? I mean, and, the news is a business. Yeah, for sure. Mass murders get you to click over. Um, so so here's, here's my question as, as believers, I guess. Um, we have a corrupted world, okay? It's, I mean, it's, you can't deny that. There's, there's systems that are corrupted. We, we live in a systemic sin. I mean, they're, they're, the sin of society um, is pervasive in many ways. I mean, there, there's things that just because we're living here, we're, we're almost a part of it. I mean, um, eating, eating a, a, a Big Mac or something or, or Taco Bell or drinking Starbucks is in some ways supporting like keeping farmers in poverty in other parts of the country right. you know things like that so there's this and even though you're not seeing it and you're not intending it there is a systemic sin that's around us and I'm, I'm not trying to just pick on those places I'm just saying that's just how business is done you know right. and right. Um, so whether we like it or not we are 
we are in a systemic sin, you know, as a society. So my question is, does our response to the corrupt world around us have to be a mirror to that society? Um, because it seems like with the anti-hero, it's almost like that response um, is responding to the corruption by becoming the corruption. And as Christians, should that be? I mean, I think we know the answer, but I think I see a lot of Christians responding that way, you know, in kind. So, so does our response to the corrupt world around us have to mirror the corrupt world around us? Uh, I certainly don't think it has to. I mean, if we're talking about artistic responses to it, um, it's interesting because I, I do think that both idealistic art and uh, anti-hero art uh, in many ways can address these questions and both can do it well or not well. Uh, an example of the kind of the idealistic stuff being done well is uh, Lord of the Rings. I, I mean, Tolkien yeah. doesn't... People say that, oh, Lord of the Rings is black and white and it's simplistic, and I want to say to that, yes, it's black and white in the sense that uh, uh, it is, you do know at every moment who's good, who's bad, and, and there's not a lot of ambiguity there. On the other hand, it's not simplistic. You have no. characters like Saruman, who was good and turned bad. You have a guy like Boromir, who is corrupted. And I think Tolkien wants to show us this this world as it is, and he, he's responding to the darkness and complexity in the world with this idealistic message. On the other hand, I do think that um, the anti-hero can have meaningful things to say about that world as well. I and mean, the example that comes to my mind as I was thinking about this conversation, and I don't know if you've watched this show or not, but Mad Men? Yeah. Okay, I've seen so most so, of it. Yeah, so I, I won't get into spoilers, but you know, Don Draper is very much an anti hero. Mm -hmm. um, he does horrible things throughout the show, uh, especially in his personal life. And what's fascinating is that this is very much in line with what we're talking about. But Matthew Weiner, as the show's creator and his writers, have written this character in such a way that we in the audience are, without even realizing it, cheering for him to stop being the anti-hero. Mm -hmm. He is. We want him to seize on those opportunities of grace that he's mm -hmm. given throughout the series. And when he refuses grace, it's a tragedy. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it, it's almost a very subversive postmodern uh, yeah. look at the anti-hero character in what it we as the audience come in, well, we want this cool anti-hero, but then we wind up cheering to, for him to get back to the right. modernistic ideal. Well, we want, we want Han Solo to stop being the anti-hero and become the Exactly, yeah. We want, we want Don Draper to take that Han Solo journey as the audience. Right. Uh, and when he doesn't, it's very tragic. And So I, I think that's a fascinating example of Matthew Wiener's using these anti-hero tropes. He's using the darkness um, Maybe to show us as an audience what, make us even question what it is we really want from our yeah. art. It's well, brilliant, brilliantly done. Well, and we've talked about before too the, the problem of, um, we were talking about The Simpsons the other day, which is yeah. not really an anti hero thing, but it's just, to some extent <laughs> yeah. I mean, it can be because I think like Christians have had a real problem, especially seeing that show for what it is, not as something that condones the bad things of society. But it's something that's shining a light on the ridiculousness of it. You know, right. like when you watch something like that, so, and, and automatically, a lot of times Christians are like, wow, he's so immoral. It's like, well, yeah, that's kind of the point of the show, is he's showing what this kind of stuff leads to, you know? Yeah. Uh, but to get into something a little more serious, um, I, I, of course, you've read more than I have. I've only read the first book of A Game of Thrones. Um, but to me, you know, you've got, uh, there's really, no morally upright people. Right. Um, there's there's maybe one, and he he dies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, which in itself is a commentary. Yeah. Uh, on that 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 type of character. Um, and and those who you know those who do right, like in that story, they quickly find themselves on the wrong end of the sword. Right. <laughs> you know, and some people may look at that and say, you know, is this teaching us that standing up for right is only going to lead us to disaster, so we shouldn't do it. Uh, do you know? Do books like Game of Thrones condone darkness, or, in my opinion, what I think it does is actually shines a light on the darkness. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what your thought is, but in showing us these 
com completely seemingly corrupt characters, at least my take on the first book, and that's all I've read. Um, I mean, it can be depressing if you look at it like, yeah. <laughs> like well, that, if you do good, you're going to be ousted, and you know, you're going to meet the wrong end of the sword or be hung or, or whatever, but um, I do think that those stories shining light, like I said, upon those situations, um, and in some ways, I, I, and I don't think George Martin probably had this in mind, but for a Christian, you know, when we say we follow Christ, and to whatever that means, even to our own harm, so that we can show who Christ is, you know, I think of how many martyrs, even around the world today, are being martyred for the grace and love of showing who Christ is. And in and even sacrificing their own lives for doing the right, they're shining the light on how bankrupt the darkness really is. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. And, and part of what's fascinating with that in Game of Thrones, uh, and I think this comes through much more in the books, um, just because they have time to do it, or Martin has time to do it, but the TV show doesn't, is that there's this whole thread of we get so invested in these characters and the plots and everything and that every now and then Martin will throw in a scene that makes you see none of this actually matters. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this whole subtext of that there's a whole land of people out there that doesn't actually care who's king. Hmm. That doesn't care at all who is king and they're just suffering and they're trying to live their lives uh, and they can't because there is this, and it's very intentionally titled, this game mm -hmm. of thrones of people who are betraying each other and killing each other and, you know, doing all, and having sex with each other and all this intrigue, um, and then sending these poor farmers and peasants into battle to kill each other uh, in their wars. And there's yeah. a sense of that Martin wants us to also see, yes, you love these characters, and yes, it's fascinating, you're involved with it, but he also wants us to look at it and say... Ooh, how much does this really matter? Yeah, and, and that to me is another example of um, using the anti-hero trope to make us really question uh, some of what maybe we would have just accept naturally in these yeah. types of stories. Yeah. Well, before we get into the like final push of, I, I did want to get into like some actual scriptural type stuff, but I, I thought of one more story and kind of just doing the brief amount of show prep that I did. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, the writer Garth Ennis who writes comic books. Oh yeah, I, I can't off the top of my head think of what he's written, but um, I know the name. He, he's written a lot of, I, I think sometimes his stuff just almost turns into like shock porn, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, like I don't mean because it's like nudity or whatever, I mean it's just because it's like um, he has books that are intentionally there just to shock you. And, yeah. And they're... They're so incredibly horrible. You just your mouth is gaping and you're whatever. But um, I think this is where, unfortunately, if we're not careful, the anti-hero worship, so to speak, can lead us, or or maybe our cynicism will lead us. Because um, he has a book called The Boys, which is sort of a critique on the superhero. Okay. And it's sort of like it, the behind the scenes. It, I mean, he's he's created caricatures of basically all the Justice League, you know, yeah. there's, there's Batman, and in this book, um, you know, you find out that he basically has molested Robin, you know, it's, yeah. it's not Batman, but it's a character like You're that. You're supposed and, to know that it is. Right, yeah. and Superman is behind the scenes, he's taking advantage of women, and he's, I mean, it's just like, every character is just, you know, awful. It's kind of like Watchmen, but even closer to. Yeah, even further out, and, yeah. it's, and, and part of it is intended to shock and everything, and I thought, you know, it's it's sad that, I mean, it's it makes for compelling reading in some ways, because there's something about our humanity that that side of us exists, and we want to read the sensationalized, but I think that is such an opposite worldview of what, of what Christ does in us, and, yeah. and Christ, if we are led to cynicism, that is not of Christ. And, um, and I, I think that sometimes, um, even in, in our churches and sometimes even in our <coughs> theology, um, we, we have a sense of hopelessness, like, well, we're all just sinners, so one day it'll be made right and yeah. you know, we'll get to heaven and then it'll be good. And I have a lot of friends who are extreme Calvinists, you know, yeah. that, that just don't believe they can ever do anything good. You right. know? Uh, but my thought about that is that's not the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel... Um, is, you know, like Romans 6, dead to sin, alive in Christ. You yeah. know, and this idea that we can be 
transformed and renewed. And, and I think there's a longing for Christ, whether people would call it that or not. I think in all of these anti-hero books and things and, and the disillusionment people have and even what leads us to cynicism and hopelessness, it's because people are searching for a Christ, a, a Messiah, that will come in and make this right. Yeah. And they can't see it. I heard a great message this morning in church about uh, like doubting Thomas who just wouldn't believe until he saw. And uh, the, the minister this morning in his message made this wonderful point. He said, you know, really the audience of the Gospel of John was just like all of us. None of them were eyewitnesses to Christ. Right. And so he was talking about the idea of, uh, how, if I jotted it down here correctly, um, he said, it's hard to believe in things you can't see. And one reason because we believe in these anti-heroes more than heroes is because we just don't see them, you know? Right, right. And he says, Abraham and Sarah scoffed at God's promise for them in Scripture uh, because they just couldn't see it, you know? They were old people. How are we going to be the, the parents of a nation, you know, yeah. or whatever? Or, and and he, says, he said this morning something like this, We desire to see the risen Christ, but like the Gospel of John's audience, we must believe without seeing. And uh, so the only way experience, the only way to experience the resurrection and the presence it brings us is to be in motion, to live out the workings of God in the world, to believe without seeing, to live the truth of the resurrection in hope and joy, wholeheartedly believing that things can be different in the midst of our doubts that things will ever change. Yeah. And uh, that, that's not a direct quote, but as much as fast as I can type right, what I was right. listening this morning. Um, and everyone around you thought, that guy's just playing on his iPad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's playing Angry Birds now. Right. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I really was. It, it's, you know, second Sunday of Easter when we were recording this. And it was it was a good reminder of yeah. the hope of the resurrection. I mean, it was, and the whole service was just really gathered around this. Now that we are celebrating the risen Christ, you know, yeah. and the idea that uh, we have to believe in what we can't see. And, uh, and it's so hard because we can't always see it, but in Christ we do see this. And, and uh, I was thinking this morning, too, of Mark chapter 9, right after the transfiguration where Jesus comes down and, you know, his, there's a, a man waiting whose son has, you know, some passages describe it like epilepsy. Some say it's like an unclean spirit, but it throws him into the fire. And, yeah. um, and Jesus, he's begging Jesus, please heal my son. And he says, do you, do you believe? And the man says, I believe, help my unbelief, which <laughs> has been a prayer of mine more times than right. can imagine. And I, I think that's an amazing prayer for us because Jesus meets the need. And um, it's good for us to come and pray those scriptures and say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me in these things that I can't see. Help me see the hope of, of resurrection and the desire to see there is in Christ. But... Um, you know, any thoughts yeah. on, on that? Thing? Yeah, yeah, I think that, you know, to tie it back to the whole postmodern, modernistic conversation we were having earlier, um, postmodernism, what it does so well is deconstruct, but what it doesn't do well is reconstruct. Right. You know, and, and you look at the thrust of the Gospels, and there is this deconstruction in there, starting with, uh, you know, the ancient expectation, what was the Messiah going to be like? Jesus mm -hmm. completely deconstructs. Yeah what that's going to be. And then you you get to Passion Week. Passion Week is a deconstruction of our view of what victory looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, but then it, it ends with a reconstruction. And on the opposite end, you know, the more idealistic, modernistic uh, take on heroes, um, it reconstructs or just constructs, but often fails to deconstruct. And I think the best ones in both categories manage to do both. You know, we mentioned Tolkien uh, with Lord of the Rings where you get both sides of that. And the emphasis is on the heroic ideal, but you do see heroes fall. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you see something like uh, Breaking Bad or, or Mad Men. You know, Mad Men, uh, what we were just talking about, where, yes, it doesn't reconstruct because Don Draper refuses grace, mm -hmm. but you see the opportunity is there. It's very mm -hmm. Flannery O'Connor-esque, sure. where grace is offered and refused. Or in the case of Breaking Bad, where... Uh, every character in that show has, again, that same opportunity. Grace is offered to every character at some sure. point, and they refuse. Uh, and I think that's, you know, if we look for stuff that, that has something to say to us about that, uh, it can be very, very powerful sure. examples of the gospel 
uh, even if it's the gospel in negative space, as it is with something like Flannery O'Connor stuff or Mad Men or Breaking Bad. Um, but but you're right that that when we lose that side of it, uh, something's missing. The classic example that comes to my mind is Fight Club, hmm. uh, which I'm sure you've seen the movie. Yeah, sure. And man, that movie does its deconstruction work. <laughs> about as thoroughly as anything can. Yeah, and the book too. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but and I'm not going to give it away in case some people haven't seen it. But where it ends, there it there's no sense of the other side of it. It leaves you in a cynical, nihilistic place. Yeah. Uh, it leaves you with not even the refusal of reconstruction, but just no hope of reconstruction whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's hard to like that movie because of that. Uh, just because, yeah, a, a lot of what it has to say about deconstructing our upper middle class white, you know, world resonates, but then where it leaves you is just so awful. Yeah, very true. Um, I thought I thought maybe in closing this discussion, you know, uh, the Bible has much better words to say than either of us do. <laughs> so, well, speak for yourself, Rick. Only <laughs> uh, true. Coming yeah, soon, maybe the Ben and Jesus podcast. That's right. Discuss that's right. that, but um, I, I wondered if it'd be all right with you if maybe we could close our discussion today talking about some of the hope and some of the admonition of Paul to the church and Let's to the Christians it. about it, and um, and and maybe we'll just kind of let this be our our amen, so to speak, okay. for today, our benediction. Um, but, but but thanks so much. This has been, by the way, before I do that, this has been a really great week. Yeah, it's um, been a or, blast. Or a few days, weekend, whatever it was. Um, it's been really nice to be here. And for me, it's been um, as much a spiritual retreat as it has been just fun going to a convention and, and you know being able to do prayer walks and get into fellowship with you and get to know you better because we hadn't met face-to-face until right, this right. time. We and. Um, and most of you will know that listen to my podcast, Ben was such a help in editing my book and, um, and, and just so selflessly did that. So I so appreciate you, you had a spiritual retreat. I had a spiritual retreat. <laughs> some, some, uh, <laughs> uh, you'll have to know my, my good Catholic brother here, uh, loves to make craft beer and, yes. and enjoys that. So, um, but I've, I've appreciated, you know, in all honesty, I've appreciated the Christ that I see in you, oh, um, you not only during our time together, but even in um, listening to your podcast or through interactions we have online. So, um, yeah, it, it's been fun. Yeah, so uh, thanks thanks to our listeners for, you know, this podcast was sort of the impetus to get us to come to do this together. Um, so anyway, let's, let's go to, to like Romans 6, which I referred to already. But Paul says, uh, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And... It says, by no means, and my theology professors always remind me, the, the best equivalent to that Greek word there is Paul, just this emphaticness, shall we go on sinning? Hell no. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just no. like this, how emphatic can you possibly the be? Meganato or whatever it is. Yeah, meganoita. Yeah. Uh, and he says, by no means, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live in Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. And in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law 
but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Again, by no means. Meganoita. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Um, and then just skipping down a couple verses just to close out this passage. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life or life abundant in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, thanks be to God for His Word this morning. Amen. Amen. Oh, I'm taking a little correct liturgical spot response there. <laughs> the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There we go. I got the Catholic. Thanks word. be to God. There you go. <laughs> That's your Catholic side in. Yeah. So, well, thanks so much for listening to this uh, this unique crossover podcast of Voices in My Head and the Sci-Fi Christian or. Maybe we should say the sci-fi Christian and voices in my head, whichever one. You, you know, you guys get top billing over me, let's put it that way. So, <laughs> not, um, not at all, not at all. But thanks again for listening, and uh, we appreciate it. Maybe we can do this again next year. Maybe Matt can join us. That That's would right. be a lot of fun. So uh, Yeah, Matt. Yeah, Matt. Wish you could have come. You could have slept on the floor. <laughs> so, and as I always say on my podcast, Ben, thanks for being one of the voices in my head this week. You are